Hi there, I'm Ange McCormack, the host of Schwartz Media's daily news show, 7am. This is The Weekend Read. Every fortnight on the show, we feature the best long-form writing in Australia, read to you by the people who wrote it. Today on the show, writer and historian Robin Anir with her piece from the September edition of The Monthly. While researching the opening of the Yan Yin Reservoir in the 1800s, Robin followed a thread unravelling the history of sewage and sewerage in Victoria. From cast iron pissoirs and open air urinals to robo dunnies and the National Public Toilet Map app, our local history of public toilets is rich with squalid detail. Robin will read her piece, We of Fortune, after a short conversation. Robin, the focus for your piece is a pretty interesting one. What brought you to research the history of toilets and, I guess, sewage in Victoria? Probably two things brought me to the topic. One is that I'm a lifelong pedestrian. I don't drive. And as I get older, so I'm over 60 now, you really need to keep your eye on where where the next toilet's going to be. So this is a a live issue for me. Uh, Apart from that, I also live in history. I live in the 19th century in my writing life largely. And most recently, I've been uh, writing about a time in Melbourne when the Yanyin Reservoir was first hooked up to the city and all the uh, wonders that sprang from that, street fountains, drinking fountains and urinals. Uh, and that brought me to the topic also. So there was a nice collision between like real life urges and, um, <laughs> and, and a kind of diversion in my writing life. I, I was especially entertained by the discovery of Mr. Borry, whom we'll hear about in the piece. And I've been entertained since the number of people, particularly men of a certain age who come up to me and say, love that piece about Borries in the monthly. Um, it's a, a particularly Victorian bit of slang, but even more than that, it's a Geelong specific bit of slang, apparently. I thought it was a word my brother had made up until I uh, researched this piece. So, yeah. And in your research, I guess even your field work, have you come across any toilets that stand out from the rest as great examples? Have you got any favourites? <laughs> My favourites. I do like um, some that I've mentioned in the piece, uh, the ones at the Botanical Botanic Gardens. Sorry, in Castle made me say botanical. I like the ones at the Botanic Gardens because they're named rather than numbered or just anonymous dunnies. Um, I like the names uh, of those toilets. Uh, they're sort of floral uh, or floral-related names. So, so they're favourites and they're very nicely kept as well. So good quality toilet paper. I like it. And I do share with Mr Borry of the uh, Public Toilets of Victoria website a particular fondness for the Violet Town toilets in the hamlet of Violet Town on the uh, Hume Highway, I think. Yeah. Robin, thank you, and I'm looking forward to hearing your piece. Thanks. Coming up after the break, Robin and Nia will read We of Fortune. The Saturday Paper's food editors are some of the country's leading chefs, including Andrew McConnell, Otama Carey, David Moyle and Karen Martini. Let them guide your cooking when you sign up to Schwartz Media's free weekly newsletter, The Food. It features the latest recipe from the Saturday Paper, along with a selection of seasonal dishes suitable for all cooks. Subscribe today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. 
We of Fortune. Among the things Edwin Borry liked best was reading detective stories when it rained. That's according to the Australian Dictionary of Biography. But when it rained? Could that have been a euphemism for on the toilet? You've got to wonder because Borry was synonymous with shit. From 1929 to 1950, he was the chief sewerage engineer for the Melbourne and Metropolitan Board of Works. In his honour, part of the landmark sewage treatment plant at Werribee was christened Lake Borry, and from there his name catabolised into slang. Borry is Victorian for turd. Within the city of Melbourne, every public toilet is assigned a number, prominently displayed outside. A floating borry greeted me in toilet 145 on the edge of Carlton Gardens, where a bog-standard fixture is housed in a heritage cast-iron edifice. Swing shut that heavy door and the interior feels almost ecclesiastical. High-up ventilation holes throw grids of filtered light reminiscent of a confessional scene in a mobster film. Only in here, you're bulletproof. A smattering of cast-iron dunnies survives round town, some dating back to the 1890s. Why they needed ventilation holes is a mystery, since originally they were roofless. Only after the city's first skyscraper went up in 1958 did someone think to put a roof on the pissoir it overlooked. It was a century before that, when piped water arrived from the Yanyin Reservoir, that civic authorities first gave thought to public toilets. At the time... Even advocates acknowledged the topic as a ticklish one. That urge, quote, which, though we may affect to be too delicate to name, we can neither control nor supersede, and which, in the absence of suitable arrangements, must either be checked at the risk of our health or indulged in at the peril of our morality. And indulged in it was. Long before they were Instagrammable, Melbourne's laneways served as open-air urinals. They'd be piss-splashed nooks and lanes in proximity to hotels, cab stands, the post office, anywhere people congregated. Of an evening, urine would stream from laneways branching off the Burke Street Theatre District, coursing over footpaths and down the gutters. Walls would have the injunction, commit no nuisance, painted at eye level. But in vain. The bouquet that earned the city the nickname Smelbourne owed its top note to the eye-watering stink of urine. Even so, the installation of a public urinal opposite the post office in 1859 was regarded as iffy at best. With free-range micturition, you could always look the other way. But a galvanised iron booth with a light on top, sighted in the busiest part of town, drew quite indecent attention to the unspeakable act. The more so because, in the absence of sewers, the urinal drained straight into the Elizabeth Street gutter. The City Council would have been quick to write off this experiment in public convenience, were it not for one Edgar Ray. Just back from London, he'd seen advertising kiosks dotted around populous parts of that city. These illuminated indicators as they were uncatchily called, were like ornamental greenhouses, lit from within so that the advertisements painted on their glass panes glowed after dark. 
Ray proposed introducing this novel medium to Melbourne, but adding a feature to the design which the London erections do not possess. He meant a urinal. Now, if the humble tin shed was too conspicuous for moralists, what must they have made of Ray's illuminated indicators? Three were installed in 1860, one replacing the municipal urinal near the post office. They were octagonal in shape, with a pagoda-style tin roof topped by a clock and a weather vane and six glass panes on each side, available for weekly rent by advertisers. Ray must have expected to clean up, since he not only paid to build the indicators, but agreed to maintain them for ten years. How likely was it, though, that non-pissing strollers would approach, let alone linger, to peruse the glass walls of a urinal? Ray struggled to find advertisers and before long he was begging the city council to take the illuminated indicators off his hands. They were, he said, used to an extent which could scarcely have been anticipated and their upkeep was beyond him. Ray's main mistake had been to make the advertisements readable from the outside. Nearly 2,000 men were counted visiting the indicator opposite the Theatre Royal in Burke Street one Saturday night. If the advertisements had faced inwards, Ray's indicators would surely have flourished. As it was, they were scrapped by the City Council in 1864 with no plans to replace the disgusting nuisance. In the pantheon of civic ills, public urinals evidently outranked public urination. On the website Public Toilets of Victoria, a pseudonymous Mr Borry profiles Dunny's encountered on his travels around the state. To win his approval, an amenity must have a gum tree visible from the entrance and a supply of three-ply inside. Above all, it must be free. To the frequently asked question, is it un-Australian to pay for a poo, Mr Borry issues a battle cry. It is our sacred duty to never, ever pay to enter a toilet block on Australian soil. And he's just as unequivocal, he calls them soulless wastes of money, on the subject of automated dunnies, the so-called touchless toilets, plonked down at street corners in the CBD over the past 20 years. The modular stainless steel Exalus promise a toileting experience straight out of the Jetsons. The sliding door opens at the touch of a button, another button locks the door and activates the tinkling strains of what the world needs now is love. If you're still inside after 10 minutes, the door will open automatically. 10 minutes? That's a long time to hold your breath. These robo-dunnies profess to be self-cleaning, but the two I sampled, toilets 1 and 178, were blisteringly piss-soaked. Clearly, these vintage Exalus have been let go. Often there's a button that's meant to lower the seat drawbridge style, but press it, nothing happens. Ditto, the button for toilet paper. And all these buttons, so much for the touchless toilet. Public toilets have always posed a problem. But in recognition of their necessity, there's the National Public Toilet Map app. Mr Borry of Public Toilets of Victoria calls it the second greatest use of taxpayer dollars in Australian history, after public toilets themselves. Launched back in 2001, the National Public Toilet Map now shows the locations of more than 22,000 amenities nationwide. 
by contrast, the great British public toilet map lists only about 14,000-odd. Tell the national public toilet map where you are and it will calculate the fastest, not necessarily the shortest, route to a public dunny. A visit to Melbourne's Pioneer Women's Memorial, whose water feature combines trickling spouts with blue glazed tiles, had me reaching for the National Public Toilet Map app. Five options lit up in the nearby Royal Botanic Gardens, all with alluring names, not numbers, such as Touchwood and Zelkova. I tried them all. Toilet paper? Check. Gum tree in view? Check. Plus button-free birdsong and signs reminding me not to squat on the seat. Two tram rides and a coffee later found me caught short in Brunswick. Relief came in the shape of a dunny stall so compact that to operate the inward swinging door, I had to squat on the seat. But hey, when nature calls, I answer. For more weekend reads, you can subscribe to The Weekend Read in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.